0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: What's the focus on BFM 89.9, The Business Station? Good morning, you're listening to The Morning Run and of course, this is WTF or What's the Focus, our weekly roundup show of the top stories this week and other news tidbits you may have missed. Joining me to dissect all this is Philip C., Chong Sun and I'm Wong Xiaoning. Now, first off, I think we have to talk about the man that has been cutting jobs like with a sledgehammer. Hmm. And it's up to 11,000 jobs. Uh, and that is, of course, Meta Platforms. Because he said on Wednesday, it would slash 13% of their workforce as the Facebook parent double down on its risky metaverse bet amid a crumbling advertising market and decades high inflation.
2: I mean, I think uh, Facebook has tried to enter the meta universe um, with their Horizon app. I, clearly, the numbers don't speak for themselves hence I think this whole layoffs. But you know, if I just take a step back about this whole issue about firing and tech firms firing, reflect about the fact that just six months, seven months ago, we were talking about the great resignation. Apa two. Apa itu, right? That's yeah. changed. We then shifted it to quiet quitting where people just couldn't tahan and quietly stay. And then you hear this but thing. But
1: inside, of, they stop working. Inside, right? they
2: stop working. And then you hear companies like cold storage, people call quiet fire. That's a new theme. Oh,
1: quiet okay. quitting.
2: Quiet quitting. That's what they, quiet <laughs> fire. No, quiet <laughs> quitting is you choosing to quit. And there are companies now saying, oh, you're a bitch. not so good. We can't let you go because of union agreements. Let's quiet fire you by putting you in a cold storage location. But now we fast forward to, to this story. We're seeing all these tech firms beginning to lay off.
0: Yeah, sometimes I wonder if the market is really underestimating the potential of certain ventures. I mean, not, after all, these people are entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. I mean, in Meta's case, the MetaVerse. I mean, yes, it has lost nine point four billion so far this year. But the entrepreneurs. <laughs> Sorry, I'm
1: giggling because nine point four <laughs> is a
0: lot of money, right? Really know what they're doing and have that vision that no one else can see. I mean, they started the company, so, mm. I mean. So, you you are
1: wearing your Mark Zuckerberg hat now, is it, Jensen? And saying that, okay, it's either we take this highway or no way. Otherwise, Meta as a company, where's our future? Um, Yeah,
0: what I'm saying is that perhaps um, because they are entrepreneurs and Mm. they started the company, that perhaps uh, the market's being a bit short term, they, they don't realize the full potential. I mean, entrepreneurs could be wrong, but at the end of the day, they did build a company to what it is today.
2: So I reflect on Mark Zuckerberg's journey, right, in terms of how he tried to evolve the business. When he started off with Facebook, he's like, okay, he knew in that... In the college was, dorm. In the college dorm. He knew there was competition, so he bought Instagram. So whether or not you go inorganic or organic is the key challenge here, right? With inorganic, he decided, look, I'm going to go in and get Instagram and then kind of resupplant f- Facebook and build the competition internally. And he realizes there's no other option, right? He can't get into TikTok here. So Building organically comes with all this risk as well.
1: Yeah, Yeah, but you know who's paying the price for this, unfortunately? The 11,000 workers that are getting their you know surveillance uh, letters, actually. And I mean, a a bit of credit to him. They will pay 16 weeks of base pay, two additional weeks for every year of service, as well as all remaining paid time Mm -hmm. off. They also receive shares that was set to vest on November 15 and healthcare coverage for six months. But the point is, you know, a lot of tech companies are also going through job cuts. So what's the job market going to be like for them? So the likes of Snap is doing so, uh, of course, Twitter is doing so. Microsoft, whom you never thought would yeah. have ever need to cut people, is also cutting people. Yeah. I think
0: CNBC came up with a list of job cuts and right at the top was Twitter, 50% of staff force. Robinhood, 31% Snap. 20% Coinbase, 18%. But to be fair to Microsoft, it's 1% of their total workforce. So that's way at the bottom of the
1: league. Yeah, I wonder who else is going to have uh, job cuts in the, the tech sector. The
2: bigger question is if this reverberates beyond the tech sector. I mean, we talk about the tech, you know, workforce accounting for 2% of total employment. Mm. You know, the bigger question is, does this have filter effects, right? On the rest contagion. of contagion effect on the rest of the sector's economy.
1: I would keep my eye on the financial services sector, right? Yeah. Because yeah. they are the first fastest and most merciless when it comes to cutting their workforce. We already see Are you see talking that? about Credit Suisse? Yes, Credit Suisse <laughs> being one of them. Uh but in the meantime, maybe I don't know, if you're if you are a meta employee, does the fact that Mark Zuckerberg said in a message, I got this wrong, I take responsibility for that, is, is that any comfort to you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the problem is if you know these people, right? They associate and they build the brand. So the association with the career is so important, right? Yeah. And so I think that's why, right? Even Twitter, you know, with Elon Musk, when he came out and he did that kitchen sink and X piece, it riled up a lot of people it because was, honestly,
1: what kind of what kind of message? What kind of are message you do you say?
2: And especially for does that
1: inspire leadership?
2: Far from it, in my view. I guess the question is, for many people, right? The job very much is part of your identity. So when you say, kind of say, I'm sorry. Of course, I know you mean it, but it feels flippant when it means very. It's very personal to you, right? Especially your job.
1: So let's talk about Twitter then, right? Because the, mm. the other headline that I saw this week that was interesting is the fact that uh, President Joe Biden. Uh, is actually looking into Elon Musk's connection to other countries when it comes to Twitter. He said this at a news conference on Wednesday, uh, whether he thought was, whether Musk was a threat to national security and if his acquisition of Twitter with the help of the Saudi conglomerate should be investigated by the US government.
2: I think this is a fascinating story because we also talk about Elon Musk using his, you know, space technology to help Ukraine's war as well. So I guess the debate here is the intersection between technology and politics and even geopolitics coming through, whether as a friend or as a foe. So I think President Biden, I don't know, I'm not sure what the logic or timing with this is after the midterm elections. Guess who asked him that question? The Mm.
1: Bloomberg reporter.
2: Of course, right? Of course.
0: Yeah, I picked up this piece of news that Biden actually snubbed Tesla last year by not inviting them to the top-selling electric, electric vehicle maker to an e-vehicle expo at the White yeah. House, apparently because it lacks a unionised workforce. And when Musk bought Twitter, apparently, prior to this, Twitter staff increasingly censored content damaging to Biden, including banning distribution of documents of Biden's son's ventures in China and Ukraine. So is this a case of... Tit for that
2: I think it's very interesting because you know, um, Biden is a bit of a car patrol head. I think he really loves his cars and I remember last year, he was test charging the Ford F-Lightning F-150. So perhaps he's trying to also prop up, you know, the other EV manufacturers that compete with Tesla.
1: But it's not like uh, Elon Musk doesn't have a important business relationship to the US, right? So, you know, it, the Tesla, despite them being snubbed at this EV important EV meeting, mm. they do benefit from tax subsidies given to buyers of electric vehicles. And SpaceX, the rocket company, remember that company, where Musk is also CEO, has contracts worth billions of dollars to deliver astronauts and cargo to and from the International Space Station. And it is supposed to build a moon lander. So... Well, I don't know. I guess the US government has to learn to live with him and maybe just keep an eye on him. I think that's the point, right? Uh, But let's talk about China, what's happening there on the ground. So we've just had a call uh, and it's confirmed the economy is not great. Bloomberg just announced that there are more than 10,000 COVID cases in China, which is a a bit of an eye-popping data. But this is not going to stop a company, Foxconn, because they are raising capital. And actually, the largest portion of that will go towards building a giant production base in China.
2: I think one must never forget that China has nearly 1 billion people. It is a large emerging market. It is a growing economy. So the demand itself, right, will be there. I mean, we talk about the short-term challenges of zero COVID. But when that market reopens, I think you will see that boom eventually happen. The question here is timing.
0: Yeah, I think I picked up a piece of research recently by CounterPoint Research, and they did say that Apple will take years to divers- diversify out of its China factories, even taking into account the zero COVID policy. And they explained that Apple's latest iPhones will likely continue to be built in China for the next few years, in spite of efforts to diversify to some of the other countries like India and Vietnam, which are very a very small part of their total production at the moment.
1: Yeah, uh, you can't you can't leave the Chinese market. Yeah. Yeah. Right, uh, but you, perhaps if you're Apple, you think to yourself, or if you're Foxconn, I do need to diversify. It's going to be that situation where China plus one or China plus two or three. Right, that's pretty much. I think the in the mind of all business leaders actually.
2: So the, I mean the, there's always been this whole debate with the pandemic and China whether this is the end of globalisation, then we say deglobalization. then we talk about changes or shifts in globalisation as you reshore and bring back closer to home in the end it's all about efficiency and economies and getting it's your scale money. in place it's all about money essentially, right? how do you get the product in a most efficient way and China with its market and logistics just is very hard to compete with.
1: For sure, uh, but we're heading into some messages, we'll come back with a quick look at the political recaps of this week. Keep it here. BFM 89.9 9.47 Friday, 11th of November. And of course, you're listening to The Morning Run. By the way, you're also listening to WTF or What's the Focus? Our weekly recap show. Now, at this point in time, we turn our attention to all the wonderful political events that have unfolded over the week. Let's start with the world's largest economy, the one that still claims to be the superpower. Of course, that's the United States. So the red wave that many Anticipated never materialized during the midterm elections. The Republicans didn't seem to do as well as many people thought they would.
2: Yeah, exactly right. You're talking about the midterms 2022, which basically wedges between the 2020 and 2024 presidential elections. There was really huge anticipation that the Republicans would ride this discontent over inflation, over the economy being potentially very weak, and basically win a swath of seats back from the Democrats but you know three days after the election results have come out we don't see clear winners it really seems that you know even the control of the House still is not yet clear and in the Senate uh, there are still many hotly contested uh, seats going on which really goes to show that the Republicans have failed to I think You know, ignite their base to come out to vote and as a result you're seeing the Democrats successfully fend off quite a lot of assaults and offensives from them
0: and I think the Republicans really underestimated the women's rights to abortion apparently the Democrats did very well in states where abortion and democracy were on the ballot and the Republicans did well when it's not so it really cancelled out to be quite an even race and I think overall the key message is that it shows that US
2: is still a very divided country Yes, and I think what what is very interesting now after midterm results, whichever happens, right? Whoever controls the House or Senate is who is going to run for president of the United States mm. in twenty twenty four. That's the big question mark: who from the Republican side and who from the Democrat side.
1: Well, immediately after the midterm elections, uh, Joe Biden had his press conference, right? And he hasn't had one since January. So there was a lot of acti- anticipation that he would actually make an an announcement exactly on that Wednesday. He didn't. He allowed. Uh, he went on to talk about, if interestingly, about foreign policy Mm. during that short speech and then took questions from the different media outlets where of course they asked him about his re-election campaign and he didn't want to actually confirm although he has said that he is going to but that final decision has yet to be made. He says he and Jill want to sneak away for a little vacation, Jill being his wife, to think about these things.
2: Very nice. And that's on the Democrat side, but the big question mark is on the Republican side. Whether or not President Donald Trump will re- seek for re-election or will his protege Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, because he did extremely well in the Florida governor race and many are hoping actually that he will run for US president. Of course, Donald Trump would not like that. The debate is who will be the nominee here. And you know, we would just having a slight discussion is basically, you know, how do we see DeSantis coming through and whether or not the Republicans will unite over him? Because clearly the results so far here show that Trump hasn't made that desired long-term effect.
1: But his candidates all did disastrously bad, right? So does this mean that his chances of coming up to say, I want to run for 2024, diminish, like just evaporate into into nothing? Because if he hasn't delivered uh, midterms, how can he go up to the Republic, uh, Rep- Republican Party and say, yep. let me run one more time? And that is unprecedented. Normally, you know, no, if you failed in your presidential candidate, you go away quietly, gently into the night.
2: He hasn't got the memo that it's always good to add on the high.
1: Uh, hi. No, I think he. He. I'm not sure he reads anything. Uh, by the way, what do you think, Jensen? I
0: think um, perhaps there's a bit too much emphasis that has been placed on opinion polls, and I think the U.S. midterms really turned out to yes. be a lot different than what people expected. And perhaps Malaysia can take a leave out of this also, given that elections is like what. Six, seven days
1: 200 away. hours Eight according
2: 200 to... 200 hours away, right? That's
1: well, 180 over hours now, I would say. But this also really shows how polarised America is, right? Because everything is so down to the wire. Uh, which also begs the question, what will our GE15 results be like? Will we be a very polarised nation?
2: So the big distinction here is that I think with Malaysia, is we're seeing multi-cornered fights. You're seeing three kind of a coalitions fighting for power here. So unlike the United States where it's a two-party system, that's where I think it gets a bit more complicated in Malaysia because with three-party systems, you have to talk about coalitions, you have to talk about fracturing the vote. That, I think, is all that makes it very confusing, right? Because, I don't know, we've had one week of e- evaluating, you know, all these hotly contested seats. No really, no one can really say who is a definitive winner for most seats, if you talk about the hotly contested mm. seats. They're kind of willing to punt to say, oh, likely strong candidate, but no one's going to say definitively.
1: Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about Malaysia's general. Elections. And I think the focus really, or at least the debate that has come into people's consciousness, con- mine, excuse me, is do I vote for a party or do I vote for a candidate? Yeah. In the past, I don't think many Malaysians ever encountered this kind of dilemma within themselves. And the reason why this has arisen is because of the very interesting seat of. Sungai Buloh. And of course we have the one and only Health Czar Caretaker Health Minister Kari Jamaluddin running in this seat which he claimed he had no choice because he was kicked out of Rambau since uh, Tokmat had taken over that parliamentary seat and he was looking for a home and he was given Sungai Buloh and Sungai Buloh is normally a Pakatan Harapan stronghold yeah. uh, the incumbent there had won with a 20,000 over majority, Siva Rasa
2: did you watch his speech where he declared you know very vigorously he wants to be prime minister and i think that was a very for me chilling speech when he gave that you know that he he had really strong desires about wanting to lead this country and what i found fascinating was the response from within amno senior leadership you know for some members saying really i like that i like that we have you know leaders young leaders who want to step up to the plate and want to be the next leader maybe not now immediately but eventually want to so what i find interesting is that you know, you have you see this kind of upstart young guy, really explicitly stating the bold ambition, and actually seeing the old veterans kind of coalesce to say, "Hey,
1: I like that." Not everybody. Not though. everybody for sure, but to because f- Johari Abdugani, Ghani, okay, ex yeah. finance deputy finance minister who is running in TT Wang, so he lost at CNG yeah. fourteen, came out to say that Kyrie should focus on winning that seat and talk about his prime ministerial ambitions later. later. Yes. So not everybody's happy. Not everybody,
0: but yeah, I was looking at some survey findings, and actually, KG's I you told us
1: just a minute ago not to believe in, in survey, Jensen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I'm contradicting myself. But anyway. <laughs> In a poll by Ilham Centre, KJ actually placed fifth in a list of nine names and Datuk Sri Ahmad Zahidi came right at the bottom. In terms of another poll, which is Pasotan Pen Nagara Negara and the number two Malaysian poll, list of 12 choices for PM. Anwar is in poll position, but KJ was in third spot. Among young voters, KJ is actually number three. Num- number one is actually Nurul Izzah. And among Chinese voters, Anwar is the most popular pick and Kyrie came
2: in second. You know, I was just talking and trying to draw analogies, right? Do you think Kyrie is like the Ron DeSantis to Trump's Zayed Hamidi?
1: Clever. Clever, Philip. Thank you. Thank you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I find, I mean, that's where I think the question here in my view is, as you talk about the polls, right, it's so distinct and different, right, where it is. And I guess the question is, with the polls we've seen coming through, is it about picking the least unpopular person then coming through?
1: I think it's going to be an interesting seat to watch nonetheless. And we actually talked about it in detail with Dr. Lao Jiwei, Assistant Professor at the International Islamic University of Malaysia. You can catch that podcast on our app and also, of course, on our website. It's entitled Sungai Bulo, a vote for the party or the candidate. Now, I think as we wrap up the week, there, what we have begun to see is a lot more campaigning on the ground, but also these polls, which Jensen doesn't believe, but I think we need to <laughs> talk about. And so far, it looks like the elections is too close to call, right? We still got one more week of really intense campaigning. And I think parties have also started to treat their campaign messaging as we head towards uh, Saturday, the key date. It all stops on Friday evening. Now, I've been to one Charama. Philip, you went to another went one to Yes, one. evening. Yes. Yep. Uh, I'm hoping to go to a BN1 and a PN1 this weekend as well. But I did from my own observation, right, the messaging at the campaign for PN is very PH, excuse me, is very much a vote for BN is a vote for Zayed Hamidi. That's there's no way running, running away from that message. Every mm. speaker had the same thing. Messaging
2: is important. I'm also wondering how are these political parties reaching out to right in the past? You know, we always talk about these mega charamas, mm. but you see a lot more of these Kolompok charamas, smaller ones. Whether they are necessary to kind of build deeper relationships?
1: Yeah, but anyway, if you have the time, I do encourage everyone to catch the Cherama if they can either on site or you can do it now on Facebook Twitter TikTok whatever uh, but I also recommend some reading an op-ed piece I would ask everyone to have a look at it's called Vote Decency and Decently in Malaysia Kini it's by Lufti Hakim Arif he's a co-founder and podcaster at Warung Baru a not-for-profit collective to promote the democracy participation and resilience but that's all we have for you from the morning run on WTF coming up Up next is the 9, sorry, 10am News Bulletin and then it's over to Enterprise, BFM 89.9. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, The Business Station?
2: You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.